0: The following podcast contains a bit of explicit material, but much, much more that is not explicit, just as a percentage. Hello, and welcome to the Saturday show of The Gist, our best of show. On the best of show, we bring you the best of the week and the best of all time. Now, this is going to be a little bit different, although I guess it fits in if you think of the Saturday show as one from the vaults and one that's an alt, something alternative to that which is from the vault. I'm really trying too hard, even though I know that a rhyme usually, usually overrides critical thinking ability. On Monday... I talked about the University of Pennsylvania swimmer, Leah Thomas, and it wasn't one of my more scorched earth spiels. I don't think that the circumstances warranted scorching the earth, and I don't just mean that it's in a pool. I really just wanted to think carefully and deeply, but also understand that not everyone who has an impassioned opinion on this issue is a good or bad person. I mean, they're all probably good or bad, but not because they have that impassioned opinion. So we got a lot of good reaction to Monday's spiel, and so I will play it again. The second one is part two of the interview we aired yesterday. We talked to the St. Thomas University coach, John Tower. That was part one of the interview. We promised you a part two. And now here is the part two. So you might be asking, wait, how's that a best of? It never aired. Yes, but it's a little like the discovery of Pluto. Due to the gravitational pull of Uranus, we knew that Pluto had to be there. It was implied in all the charts. So it might not have existed or we might not have known it was previously there, but it was was just as there as much as if we could see it by the naked eye. And anyway, you're going to be able to hear it by the naked ear. So enjoy our interview with John Tower, and enjoy, or if not enjoy, please contemplate this spiel about Leah Thomas. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites, Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where it got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort, and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in, he could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter, or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. as was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H A R, like the first three letters in hard, B I N G E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And now the spiel. Here is how this week's Sports Illustrated story begins. Fresh off her final practice of the week, the most controversial athlete in America sat in the corner of a nearly empty Philadelphia coffee house with her back to the wall. Most controversial. For some, her name will be meaningless, but for others who don't recognize names like Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, or Devonte Adams, Leah Thompson rings a bell and presses buttons. S.I.A. describes the University of Pennsylvania swimmer as, quote, one of the most dominant college athletes in the country, and as a result, the center of a national debate, a living, breathing, real-time Rorschach test for how society views those who challenge conventions. The ones who know Leah, who've heard the name on Fox, who've seen those segments on Tucker, or just who read with interest in the Philadelphia Inquirer, Rorschach test is definitely not the way to put it. Rorschach tests have no meaning. They're designed to be ambiguous. Leah's critics, or critics of the NCAA that allowed a transgendered woman to swim as a woman, do not believe the human body is a Rorschach test. They don't believe that there is ambiguity in what constitutes a man versus a woman. Now there are others who loathe Tucker Carlson, who don't want to see themselves as in any way anti-trans, who support the right of women to be women if they identify as women in nearly all aspects of life, in clothes and dress, and bathrooms and pronouns. These people subscribe to the idea that trans people should enjoy acceptance, even better respect by others, but then their sports. And not recreational sports, highly competitive sports. Sports that decide scholarships worth tens of thousands of dollars. That at the highest level, the level in which Leah Thomas competes, sports that can confer the status of Olympic champion, can define legacies or careers. When it comes to sports at this level, fairness is a virtue that must be reckoned with. And the respect or acceptance or even admiration that we should give to a transgender person should be balanced against the fairness we give to all the other women, the vast majority of the women, who depend on institutions that are the arbiters of fairness to stand up for them too. Leah Thomas, before her transition, was a good male swimmer. This season, she was great. And at the NCAA championship on Tuesday in Atlanta, she was more than great. She was the best woman in the 500 meters in America. Here at the end of this
1: race, Thomas starting to pull away the bell it's leah thomas moving away from emma Wyatt. brook 40 in the third
0: wyant right up there against that lane line she's having a great race here and she's gonna get second that will give her a lot of confidence remember
1: she's just a freshman leah thomas pulling away over the final 150
0: meters thomas would go on to win by more than a second and a half over second place finisher emma Wyatt who, as you heard the announcer say, was only a freshman, true, but she and third place finisher Erica Sullivan and fourth place finisher Brooke Forty, they were also Olympians, silver medalists at the Tokyo Olympics. In fact, Thomas had beaten the best America had to offer in women's swimming, thereby establishing herself as the very best women swimmer in America at the 500. The time didn't lie. Leah Thomas didn't cheat. She followed the rules that the NCAA laid out. She did 12 months of hormone replacement therapy and had her testosterone monitored to within the NCAA defined acceptable levels. When asked about this, the greatest swimmer in U.S. history, Michael Phelps had this to say. "There has to be a level playing field. I think that's something that, that we all need um, because it's, it, like, that's what sports are. Uh, and, and for me, um, I, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know um, what's going to happen. Um, I, I believe that we all should feel comfortable with who we are in our own skin. Um, but I think sports should all be played at an even playing field. I don't know what that looks like in the future. Um, but it's, 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 it's hard. It is. And critics of Phelps and transgender activists were hard on Phelps for his answer. He imperfectly tried to answer an extremely tough, if not impossible question. Today, NBC published an essay by Cheryl Cookie, Purdue University Professor of American Studies and Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies, headlined, We Should Be Celebrating Leah Thomas Like We Did Jackie Robinson. It would be charitable to call an analogy to Jackie Robinson merely imperfect. Maybe it's more like insulting. In this essay, Cookie argues, quote, there is a lack of scientific evidence that conclusively demonstrates a direct link between testosterone and athletic performance. Cookie links to a Scientific American article about myths relating to intersex athletes, not one like Thomas, who went through male puberty and as such experienced the testosterone benefits of height, lung capacity, skeletal size, etc. To take a non-technical distinction, one that everyone will get, Leah Thomas is 6 feet 2 inches tall, the average male Olympic swimmer is 6 feet 2 inches tall, the average female Olympian is 5 foot 9, Leah Thomas is in fact taller than the tallest female Olympic medalist Kate Campbell from Australia in the 2021 Games. Thomas didn't win because she's tall. She was a fine, fine swimmer pre-transition without a big height advantage on her NCAA rivals. But to say the effects of testosterone didn't help her against her competitors who didn't go through male puberty calls into question your credibility overall. But the credibility of the anti-Leah press should also be called into question, more even than that essay by the Purdue professor. The Daily Mail of the UK and the New York Post and other conservative outlets Fox made sure that Thomas's example was known. A picture of the second through fourth place finishers in the 500, celebrating without Leah was displayed as proof that those three opposed or resented Thomas. This was just a picture taken of three Olympic teammates who knew each other beforehand and were friends. In fact, absolutely the most inspiring thing that I took away from the entire weekend were the public statements of number three and number four finishers Erica Sullivan and Brooke Forty. Sullivan wrote, quote, As a woman in sports, I can tell you that I know what the real threats to women's sports are, sexual abuse and harassment, unequal pay and resources, and a lack of women in leadership. Transgender girls and women are nowhere on this list. Women's sports are stronger when all women, including trans women, are protected from discrimination and free to be their true selves. And Forty issued a statement that said, quote, I believe that treating people with respect and dignity is more important than any trophy or record will ever be, which is why I will not have a problem racing against Leah at NCAAs this year. Still, Google the names of these great swimmers, Thompson, Wyant, Sullivan, and Forty, and you will see the picture, three of them together, one of them apart. The headlines on Fox News and all the conservative sites portray it as a snub when they know full well that those statements of support from two of the three swimmers that Thomas beat out were issued beforehand and widely circulated. Thomas didn't speak to any media or do any press conferences during the NCAA meet, with one exception. After exiting the pool with the title, she submitted to the customary Q&A with the Sideline Reporter.
1: You've undoubtedly been under the spotlight over the past few months. How have you been dealing with that and reasoning with everything?
0: I try to ignore it as much as I can. I try to focus on my swimming, uh, what I need to do to get ready for my races, and just try to block out everything else. What did that race mean to you? It's, it means the world to, to be here, be with two of my best friends and teammates and be able to compete. In the future, even though more people will, no doubt, be transitioning, it may be harder for one to switch divisions from male to female. The NCAA mandated that Thompson undergo 12 months of hormone replacement therapy, but quickly changed the rule to be 36 months. Plus the pandemic allowed for a year away from competition for her to undergo medical interventions. It could be unique circumstances. I don't have to have an opinion on everything, right? You know that. On this, I'm conflicted. There are bad arguments dismissing science as not science as we heard from supporters like Cookie. There is a cruelty to the Daily Mail-esque outrage. In between, caught in between, these two polarities of intense finger pointing are athletes with real grace like Sullivan and Forty, but notice that second place finisher Emma Wyant stayed silent. I can't critique her, is her stance backward, is her stance graceless, is it understandable, is it obviously correct? (laughs) At lower levels, I think sports is about participating in sports and a transgendered athlete should not be barred. At the highest levels, we must acknowledge that the competing values of fairness and acceptance are legitimate. Each of them are compelling and dismissing the other as bad faith is ignorant or opportunistic. I also doubt that there'll be a spate of trans women winning every swim meet. I don't think this represents the potential destruction of women's sports, because if enough transgender women crowd the podium, then we could just have a trans women's division. And even if one trans woman dominates in the 500, as Thomas did, she was still beaten in the finals of the other races she competed in. I know that Leah Thomas did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, And I also know that I cannot criticize Emma Wyant if she felt that the rules needed to protect her more. But I'm thinking most of the third and fourth place finishers, Sullivan and Forty, and I just hope that they look at their bronze medal and non-medal and hold that accomplishment and everything it implies as dear as all the golds that they have won and will win in the future. John Tower is the coach of the St. Thomas Tommies, which play in St. Paul, and up until this year, played in Division Three. They leapt two divisions and now are competing with the best college basketball has to offer. I talked to Coach Thomas about being a Division I school and what that would mean in terms of setting goals.
1: So at the start of the year, I, I was adamant with our team we are not having and a couple of them came to me, a couple of our leaders came to me, they were f- confused and a little frustrated in October because they're like, Coach, you always give us three goals and we know what we're trying to do. You haven't done that this year. And I had to tell them humbly that's because I don't know what our goals are yet. I know I want us to compete the way we always have, but I'm not going to tell you our goal is not to be in last place or to win a Division One game. Um, I think we had more process goals. like We knew, for example, turnovers. We had been in the top two in turnovers the last three years in Division Three. Right. We ended fewest up leading Division yes. One in fewest turnovers this year. So our Division Three players went to Division One and averaged fewer turnovers than ever before, which to me, to me, epitomizes them embracing who we are. And the only way we can have a chance is if we take good care of the ball and we trust each other. And so those things became important. But I've never liked talking about stats a lot with our teams i think stats are good metrics but i don't think you go into a game saying don't turn the ball over because now you got an avoidance mindset and that's going to lead to to failure um so i'm uh, long story short or short story long i don't think we ever gave them a tangible number but we did say at one point we've got 30 games we can't go to the playoffs we're treating each one of these games like a super bowl Every one of these games, win or lose. And in the past, we couldn't do that. In the past, every game we played, I'm thinking about what's that do to our strength of schedule? What's it do to our regional ranking? How's that going to affect their chance to host a playoff game? And this year, it truly
0: was every single game. It's a clean slate, win or lose. Wow. So you are a psychologist and a professor thereof. All coaches, of course, have to have a practical understanding of psychology and a lot of them who i know they go beyond the practical they read a lot of books or maybe even uh you know take an online course but was there anything from the academic literature that you used or draw drew upon this year well yeah that's uh
1: for good or bad right my my work in psychology i think the players most freshmen come in and they think that means that i can read their minds and so I have to disabuse them of that notion early on that it just means I think too much and they should not listen to most of my psycho babble. And so I probably err on the side of talking less about that stuff. I think it permeates our program. Um, my research has been on intrinsic motivation. And so a huge part of our program is trying to recruit and develop players who absolutely love what they're doing and um, are passionate about being the best that they can be for their team. Mm. So in in terms of the way that we approach this season. I do think, you know, Carol Dweck wrote a great book uh, years ago, Mindset, and she talked about growth versus fixed mindset. And I think it's applicable to lots of sports, lots of business, lots of relationships. But I think more than ever this year, we were able to talk about how do we grow and improve? Because our players do really have this unique loyalty to our school and our program, but they also have an acute understanding of their role in this whole journey that in year one, the foundation they're laying, for example, this year, when recruits would come watch us play, they were well aware these are the same guys playing division three. And they would see the excitement of the crowd. They'd see the way our team was competing. And to me, that those are moments that helped build our program that you won't see until two, three years from now, but they're absolutely important. And so, um, I think there's a lot of psychological research on how do you deal with challenges with adversity. And um, I, I thought our players, we talked about that a lot. You know, how do you how do you accept what you, you know, can't control and Uh, control the things you can.
0: So that's interesting. You in recruiting and identifying players, you emphasized their intrinsic abilities. So coming in, uh, most of the work, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like you're saying most of the work was done because you recruited the right type of player who was going to be able to have the correct mindset for success at that level. Yeah, I don't,
1: I don't think I think coaches get too much credit when we win and they get probably too much blame when we lose games. Uh, and that's part of being a leader in any organization. But I, I, there's no, you don't suddenly turn an extrinsically motivated kid into an intrinsically motivated one. right? right. I think it's far more important to evaluate and, and identify. And then there are times, Mike, where you see a kid who's really talented, but maybe, maybe he doesn't love it as much. If you've got that critical mass in your culture, so in basketball, for example, we've got 15 guys in our locker room. You can probably have a couple who don't love it the same way and you hope that the other 13 bring them in. But if you do it the other way and you've got two who really love it and 13 that are in it for other reasons, extrinsic reasons, which can motivate people, right? Extrinsic motivators work. Um, But in terms of building a team, it's pretty tough to be great if most of your guys don't – We talk about it all the time. The two things I tell them, if you forget every play, every defensive scheme we have, value the ball, value your teammates. If you do those two things, if you care about the basketball and you care about your teammates, good things tend to happen. And so I think we spend a lot of time in recruiting trying to evaluate who are the kids that really love it and who are the ones that are going to be great teammates.
0: Well, that tells me that you might have an advantage, a strategic advantage going forward because... Not only will the superstar jump out of the gym athletes probably be looking to more established programs, so you're not going to get them, but you can identify the type of player that would fit in well that is not is not reflected in the measurables may not be reflected in the points per game average and so the kind of player maybe you won't be going up against schools that have a lot of recruiting advantages for the great athletes but that's okay that's not what the bread and butter of your program is
1: yeah you hit the nail on the head that the i think we know who we are number one as a coach you have to know who your institution is right because no matter how good the player if if he comes onto your campus and doesn't feel like it's a fit, and that could be socially, it could be academically, it could be the system that you run on offense, you can't spend most of your day trying to convince somebody they should be happy there. And so I think there's a huge part of that. Um, and there's also a reality of, yeah, we, it, I had a kid's dad tell me his goal is to play in the NBA um, and be, you know, be an early entrant in the NBA and I said well then we're not the, you shouldn't be visiting our campus right now like either you're not being realistic about your son or you're in the wrong spot because that isn't it right now where we are as a program now 20 years you look at a school like Gonzaga and what they've done over the last 25 or 30 years people often talk about how quickly it's happened it's really been a, a progression right they didn't have that many lottery picks even 5-10 years ago and so we may be in that spot some, at some point, but I think what we're building in Division One will largely be built on the shoulders of the guys who played for us in Division Three, not just physically, but in terms of the intangibles and the mindset they brought.
0: I just had this vision. Tell me if it's a cliche or I've seen too many movies. You're a coach, and you go to see some highly touted recruit. There are, you know, five or six other coaches, assistant coaches in the stands. You nod at each other. You all know them. You're you're all here to watch the guy who gets 25 blocks and 25 points and eight blocks. But then you see another kid, maybe his teammate, maybe on another team, and he's good. But you know, he's the kid who's talking to everyone in the huddle. He's the kid who's playing in a way that doesn't show all the athleticism in the world, but definitely shows the leadership. And that's the kid you recruit. Did I just make that up from some movie I saw? Has that happened?
1: <laughs> no, that that happens. Uh, I won't say all the time, but that absolutely happens that in division three, I used to, I, I didn't joke about it. I was dead serious. I would tell our coaches, we want the third best player on the state champion team. Ha <laughs> ha! because the state champion the top player is going to division 1 the second best player is probably going to division 2 maybe division 1 and the third best player is good enough to play division 2 but he might want the education at St. Thomas and he's also been in a locker room where he knows that 28 and 2 over the course of a season as a record takes guys diving on the floor it takes a guy who is cool scoring 8 points a game and taking charges and so no I think that and those are difficult things to find right because it's that's a nuanced look that if you watch a kid play eight times, you might really come to like them. It's hard in one game. Let's say I'm going to watch you play and you are the star. My eye is going to you and confirmation bias, all these social cognitive mm-hmm. errors that we make. It's hard to notice that other guy because I'm watching you wanting to like you, right? And then we get into all these other fallacies that while well, I walk right. away and I, I What did I like about Mike? Every
0: turnover is explained, but every dunk is a justification of what we knew to be the truth.
1: Yes. You got it. And it is an exercise in cognitive dissonance, right? Because I've got to justify, I may have flown across the country to see you and left my family for a couple of days. So I really want to like you. Well, the odds that I'm actually going to notice this other kid. Now that's where other coaches come in mind, right? Where other coaches are able to say, um, we think that this kid could help you at some point.
0: Yeah. Um, is recruiting easier now that you have scholarships to give out?
1: Yes, no question. Um, recruiting, I think has become, uh, well, when I say easier, we're going after a different kind of kid, um, a different ability and the, the ability to give kids a scholarship. Um, first off, I think is it's, um, it feels great. I mean, the, the, the long and short of it to tell a kid like, Hey, you could come to St. Thomas and not have to pay for tuition, room, board, et cetera. Um, but I will say it's also more competitive, right? Because you're now, in the past, Mike, we would have, let's say there's well, there's hundreds of kids in every state. In the state of Minnesota, most of our kids that we recruited in Division three would have been somewhere 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 in the state. ranked. There. And the top 20 to 25 kids are going to Division one and two. Well, we're now, like next year, we have three of the top 12 kids in the state of Minnesota committed to come to St. Thomas. So that's... Mm that's a, a different caliber of player, but you're also competing against other schools that are also offering them full scholarship. So it's sort of apples to apples. Instead of convincing kids to pay 40000 to go to St. Thomas compared to another Division three school, now we're trying to convince them to accept a scholarship at St. Thomas instead of accepting it somewhere else.
0: So I don't know if you know this, but I was there for your first win. It was pretty random. I, I was sick of the pandemic. Sports were being played live. And at a at St. Francis in Brooklyn, near close, pretty close to where I live. They were playing a game. I love to go to small gyms and see who they were playing. I, it didn't even register, me, register with me who or what St. Thomas was. But as I was there, I started reading about St. Thomas and I was kind of blown away. And your guards were just dominating their guards. And you, you needed a little help with the bigs, but your guys were playing tough and taking charges. And it was pretty apparent you were going to win. And then you won your first ever win in Division One. weirdly for a school from Minnesota in Brooklyn. There were like a hundred of your fans in the gym. Tell me what that moment was like.
1: That, that is a game. And it's so, I, to me, it's special just hearing you talk about it. Um, that's a game that I'll never forget. I mean, our players—we walked to and from the game. There was snowing. I think it was. Oh yeah,
0: there was this stupidly ridiculous hailstorm, which even though you're used to snow in Minnesota, it was—it was act of God type stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and their small gym, which we had ironically practiced in three years earlier. We were playing Brooklyn College, a Division three school, and Saint Francis was kind enough three years earlier to let us practice there. And I remember one of our guys commenting on what a quaint small gym this was for a Division one school. And so that game that game was magical because I think it was one of those things, like our first game we had lost and it came down to the wire and our guys were still trying to figure out how are we going to do. And, and so there were moments in that game, probably the only thing I compare it to in a strange way is a national championship game, whereas the, the clock's ticking down. You're like, is this going to happen? Like you, Even though you're up 18 with a minute and a half left, you're still thinking we're in trouble. We're in tr-, and then you realize like, no, just keep doing what we're doing and we'll be fine. But the beauty of college basketball, and you saw that game, um one of the sports writers in Minneapolis tweeted out the other day that St. Peters who's in the Sweet 16 they lost at home this year to St. Francis. And we beat St. Francis so he was joking so maybe St. Thomas can beat Kentucky someday, right? We're we're a long ways from that but but what you saw on that day was I think um to me one of those moments that I'll never forget, right that Sports can bring people together in unique ways. You and I talking today probably wouldn't be if you hadn't seen that team and, and thought, who in the world are these kids from St. Thomas and what's their story? And um, So I appreciate you being at the game, and that is one that it'll go down in history at St. Thomas for sure.
0: Was it weird when you asked to cut down their
1: their own nets? <laughs> we did not cut down their nets. Uh, we did ask for the game ball and we replaced it for them because it, it'll go in our trophy case. But it, you know, we won that game and we ended up we won ten games this year. We won the last game of the year at home on senior night, and that was those were the two bookends this year. We had seven seniors, uh, and a couple of them are still going to play college basketball, but in, in a fifth year with their COVID year. But that was a night where all seven of them kind of got a curtain call. We um, we defeated a conference opponent in front of a packed gym. And so it was those are moments when you ask about our, our seniors how they're gonna remember leaving D three, going to D one. I think they're gonna remember that Brooklyn, that game in Brooklyn against St. Francis, and they're gonna remember senior night at home on February twenty sixth. And those are gonna be moments that they'll never ever forget. So what are your goals for next year? <laughs> You're gonna make me go tangible, aren't you, Mike? I, I think the easy the easy answer is to say, let's get better, but I won't lie to you that you know, part of why we were so good this year is we had veterans who knew each other. They knew our system. They never turned the ball over. And so, while I would say improvement is our goal and we want to be better, we're bringing in four freshmen and a transfer. Who there's going to be some growing pain. So we're going to look. Our our four freshmen are two of them are six nine, two of them are six six, and our starting center was six six this year. So our team is going to look a lot bigger, but we're probably going to turn the ball over and we're going to have to find ways to get better. And so I really. I don't think it's all going to be linear. I think if you look at us in year four and five, you're going to say they've built something really special. And then I think years eight and nine, there's going to be another group that builds on that. But when I, you know, and I'm starting to date myself here, having been at St. Thomas 26 years between coaching and playing. Um, but it really, growth in a culture is so interesting because it it it's not always the way you would predict. And so I hope we're better this year, but I, I'm i still going to refrain from putting a number of wins on. And our athletic director, Phil Eston, who's, um, just a genius in our field, he has been absolutely convicted with our coaches not to try to win quick and early at the expense of culture and so knowing that and feeling good about that, I really feel like our first three years, the biggest thing is make sure our culture stays strong in the way it was in Division three, and the wins will come and I think by years four, five, six, and seven, and beyond, you know at that point we 're going to have athletes that um, we 'll look a lot I, I joked this year we 're never going to win warm ups. I told our alums don 't even come to warm ups because the other team's doing windmill dunks, three sixty dunks, and our guys are using the backboard to lay the ball in and um I think that's you know that's a way to avoid answering your question other than to say i think we 're going to be really tough and competitive and we 'll we 'll keep growing as a program.
0: John Tower is the head coach of the St Thomas Tommies. He is a faculty member he is one of the only head coaches in basketball with a uh, sports-related doctorate. Coach, great talking to you. Mike, really appreciate it. Thank you. And that's it for today's Best Of show. Thank you to Corey Wara, assistant producer, and Joel Patterson, senior producer of The Gist, and as always, Michelle Pesca, whose actual title is COO of Peachfish Productions. oom pru de thanks for listening.